Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello and thank you for joining me for the second post-journey interview of a series following the Fairways Project, a collaboration between the Big Hoof, Running on Joy and the British Pilgrimage Trust. Fairways aims to connect people to the outdoors through long-distance journeys on foot and horse along the old ways of the UK for the benefits of their mental and physical health. This July, our core team of four set out on a 200-mile adventure across St Columba's Way in Scotland to raise money for the incredible work of the Venture Trust and specifically their new outdoor therapy programme, supporting the mental health of vulnerable 16 to 25-year-olds and ex-service personnel. We were joined by over 40 people at various points of the route, our aim being to break down what a runner, rider or hiker should look like and to open conversations around the benefits of a reciprocal relationship to nature and mindful, slow travel. Over the last few months, Running on Joy has been bringing you some of these stories, along with personal reflections and interviews with patrons and collaborators. If you feel inspired, you can find out about future Fairways projects and how to support our fundraising efforts at www.thebighoof.com forward slash fairways. For this episode, I travelled to Kent, where I spent a beautiful weekend reconnecting with Richard Hansel, an actor and artist who joined us, like Zoe, at the halfway point of the journey. You can hear a short conversation with Richard in Chapter 5 of this series, where we thought about his expectations upon joining the group. On a sunny Sunday morning, a few weeks after the journey to Iona, we sat down over steaming mugs of coffee and shared our reflections on the quiet transformations that occur through intentional movement, connection to the landscape and meaningful conversation. This recording is, in a way, as much a testimony to those touchstones as the pilgrimage itself, an ode to the kind of friendship that you make walking alongside someone. I think a really nice point to start is yeah. to actually go back to before we even really knew each other yeah. and say, who is Richard? <laughs> <laughs> Very good question. <gasps> um, <clears throat> that's funny, yeah, because I obviously I had no idea who you were and I was looking mm. for you as well. But I don't think I even had... I had a vague notion that you were the front runner. I didn't literally know that you were the front runner, i.e. that you were running like 10 miles for the, the last section of that mm. walk. So I kind of just assumed you, I didn't know what I was assuming. I was just assuming that you you were ahead of them and you were going to turn up. Um, 
how did we even spot each other? Because there was a lot of people in that tent, wasn't there? Well, I just went round saying, "Who is? Where is Richard? Who is Richard? Has anyone yeah. seen Richard?" And then uh, someone vaguely kind of gestured over to where where you were sitting, and hallelujah, Richard was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and you looked you looked exhausted after that run, um, but also yeah, and you looked very different. To, everyone else was kind of arriving for the um, is it decathlon? Te- Quadrathlon. Quadrathlon. Yeah, they'd be dead. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were all kind of like settling in for the night, having their dinner. And so you really stuck out as, um, you know, you really looked like you'd, it looked you'd be like like already been through across, it. <laughs> yeah, you really looked like you'd been through it. You'd done that quadrathlon already. Um, yeah, so it was just really nice to connect with you and make that kind of immediate. I felt like we had an immediate connection, and of course, you arrive somewhere and you're in a in quite an open state. So mm. I'd basically been on a train from Canterbury via London for however many hours, and then some stranger came and picked me up in uh, Killin mm. and took me to where I was supposed to be, and that was all kind of very last minute so I was like where the hell am I what am I doing here <laughs> what's going on what even is a quadrathlon <laughs> I'm not very sporty um, but there was a really good atmosphere there and it was amazing to kind of arrive you know in the highlands pretty much and in this beautiful spot um, mm. for this adventure so I was in I was in a very good state of mind and that kind of very open state of mind where you've stepped out of your comfort zone. And it was reminding me of going on how I always feel before I go on a meditation retreat of any length, which is asking myself those questions of why am I, why did I actually decide to do this? Um, you know, there's a discomfort about moving, you know, not, it's not like going on holiday where you have all of these expectations about having a nice time and, uh, you know, you know on some level you're stepping outside your comfort zone and you know that there's a reason why you've done that, um, even if it seems like kind of madness at the time when you <laughs> do it. <laughs> um, but therein lies its benefit is because you're actually stepping outside your ego comfort you know, mm. our, our cocoon mentality. Um, yeah, so so I was in that space when we met. And do you find when you're, because obviously you go on different kinds and different places with meditation retreats, do you find that the answer to that why changes each time? Yeah. Yes, I think it does because you... I mean, obviously, you go with some expectation. Not it's not it's not entirely honest to say that there's no expectation because, on some level, there is an expectation of um, gaining some kind of inner peace, and uh, maybe accessing a different level of consciousness to to our kind of everyday or my everyday consciousness um so there is that kind of longing i think 
to experience something other than my kind of everyday mentality, which you could get so bogged down with kind of like everyday details and mm. um, the practicalities of living and what you think you want. And actually, it's only by having space that you actually get in touch or, or can get in touch in a deeper way with meaning I suppose in life I think that's what it is and and that does change um, and it changes in a meditation context according to the practices that you're doing according to the people that you're with um, you know so there is always there is that desire to, to, to experience that sort of level of peace or refreshment of purpose and vision but you never quite know what that's going to look like or feel like on an experiential level there's maybe a vague memory of it but I think it's like anything that's um, involving a kind of spiritual quest it's it's you know the our ego is what keeps us going day to day isn't it and, and it's a very necessary thing but it's blinkered it's kind of um yeah it's like a horse with blinkers it doesn't see the whole picture um and, and like going on retreat is a way of refreshing refreshing perspective um so there's a memory of what that feels like but it's interpreted by ego which is very limited in its vision so I'm getting very deep very quickly, but it, it is something about experiencing your limitless potential and, um, you know, your capacity for compassion, which, which you know, according to the Buddhist teachings is limitless. Um, you know, and we're always working with, there's always a conversation isn't, between the idea of limitlessness or infinity and limits you know we we we're engaging with that conversation on a daily basis whether we know it or not um and doing and doing something like a retreat is a way of just bringing it into consciousness much much more got me thinking about a lot of things a lot of it comes back to that idea of sort of um you're choosing to do something you're choosing to have an intention but that intention isn't necessarily grounded in a concrete idea of what it is. It's a choice to cho of choosing something other. You're saying yes to the other, that's, although that other good way doesn't it. necessarily have words or concepts. And actually quite a lot of that other is maybe, to get sort of philosophical about it, is actually deconstructing maybe what your preconception of what that intention might be <laughs> exactly you're absolutely that's really really well put and and actually the spiritual journey is about well in, in a buddhist context anyway is about going beyond concept seeing the limitation of concepts you know concepts mm -hmm. are useful we can't negotiate the world without them but they they are limited by their nature and so yeah so you're you're right it's it's very hard to explain what that thing is that you're looking for that thing beyond concept because it is beyond concept and I think with with this journey it's not that I was um well I think I was seeing it as a as a kind of spiritual retreat mm -hmm. I definitely was just the very word pilgrimage conjures that up for me 
Um, you know, when I think of Tibetans on pilgrimage, it very much is it's a, it's a it, it's very much about stepping outside your comfort zone. I mean, they're in an extreme way, obviously, because they're in Tibet anyway. You're you're however many thousand feet up, and um, you're dealing with the vicissitudes of, of weather and but you're also making life really difficult for yourself because every few yards you throw yourself on the ground in a full prostration um, and actually you you spend the whole time on the pilgrimage whether it's you know often it's around a holy site like Mount Kailash mm -hmm. you'd be throwing yourself on the ground um, prostrating you know and those prostrations are their way of gathering merit which sounds very um end gaining <laughs> but but on a deeper level it's about um working with your pride you know of putting yourself first all the time or thinking that your opinion is the best so you you prostrate you offer that and and that prostration is an offering so then in a in a in a really um concrete way you know they're dealing with their ego through pilgrimage mm. you know and, and in a really tough way as well but um <laughs> so last night we were we were chatting to some of your your lovely friends who live locally we were talking about this idea of being um being a conduit for energy and putting aside the ego um, and the protestations that you were just sort of like talking about it is that kind of like reset to conduit to transmitter rather than it being about I am I am doing this experience it's more about kind of becoming becoming the flow of it yeah um, yeah and I guess also that kind of that sort of taps into what we were what we were thinking about with um this idea of intention with pilgrimage that actually I feel and I don't know whether it's the same for you like that the goal the arrival at the place is really almost like going back to the beginning mm. again it's a it's a resetting because actually then comes the reflective period and mm. actually I've even found so many of our conversations kind of thinking about different aspects of it and kind of connections, relationships, things that we noticed, wanted more of, maybe reflected were good, were bad, <laughs> all these things. That's kind of in the afterglow of the actual act of walking, like that processing is as much a part of it as the actual doing of it. Yes. And possibly... You know the kind of the bigger part of it because then that's kind of you get back to that question of why mm. or, or who or yeah. who am I now as opposed to the person I was at the beginning yeah and what questions can that who now ask that's going to lead to to my next <laughs> next chapter it's yeah. almost like you you recycle everything again yeah. don't you in a way yeah yeah it's yeah almost like a kind of it's not quite a reset, but there's a stripping away mm. involved. And there was for me on this journey, I would say, um, you know, you're stripping yourself away literally from your habitual context. Mm. You're stepping into quite a sort of unknown context that you have some ideas about, but the reality of it unfolds day to day um, according to, to the weather, the, the new people that might have arrived that day 
um, all the all the organizational stuff you've got to get your head around and you know you've got to pack up your tent at a certain point and you've all got to come together and undertake the day's journey mm. and uh, look out for each other so so there's a lot there's actually quite a lot there's a lot going on um, and then there's the walking there's the talking there's the walking in silence when you find you're not with anyone so there are lots of things um, that your mind then focuses on or has a chance to kind of drift away from as well and mm. and then so I don't quite know where I'm going with that but. no it sounds like for you it's kind of like a process of kind of um or, or, or I'm thinking of that idea of surrendering yourself to that process as yeah well. there's a lot of surrender it's yeah. like we did we did our um short yoga practice out, outside this morning and I hadn't I hadn't really kind of had a regular practice for a while and I was having to remind myself of that flow of movements and kind of thinking about positioning of things and then I was sort of like I found myself almost kind of worrying about am I getting this right and Mm. then actually it's when you surrender to the okay I'm being instructed I'm being told I'm just going to allow myself to go with that and not judge it and it's that kind of surrendering of the the expectations that you maybe have of that to just be okay. Yeah, I just need to think about this thing and this thing and and this person, but being okay with that. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's that moment of sur- surrender of all your sense of kind of well, this is what I thought it would be, or this is who I think that I should be in this yeah. moment. That's when the kind of the work happens you're right and that is very very akin to a meditation retreat you know Mm. because there's so much surrender that's involved you've got so many kind of irritations as well you know a schedule that's imposed upon you um places you have to be at certain time housekeeping things that you have to be involved in to be part of that whole organism that makes the retreat work um so there are a lot of similarities i would say to having undertaken this kind of um pilgrimage track you know dealing with people you haven't necessarily chosen to be with or you know don't you that you don't know and and uh all the kind of things that get triggered what was it vanita said last night she said um like being on a retreat or being with a, a sangha which is the spiritual community in in buddhism um, is like rubbing off the being a potato that's having the dirt rubbed off you know your potatoes rubbing the dirt off each other yeah <laughs> I really like that expression yeah yeah and there is there are, you know we 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 do have triggers and people strangers particularly can trigger us because we're projecting a lot of stuff onto them so you're right in terms of the retreat the trek or the retreat ending and then having that time to reflect but also that reflection happens within the trek and and also you're working with your you're working with your your discomfort a lot of the time there's a lot of similarities there as well you know you're you've got a really heavy pack in our case we had our heavy backpacks the pack horse could only take tents which left quite a lot of weight still in your in your backpack and some quite arduous climbs generally we weren't climbing but there were some arduous moments there was 
days of driving rain where we soaked to the skin despite clothes that were supposed to be waterproof. Our feet were wet. You know, you're wading through rivers um, that have, because of all the rain, that the, the, the streams had become rivers. And um, But it's amazing how, you know, and again, it's like a retreat where people really look out for each other, start looking out for each other. And um, despite any kind of um, antipathy that might come up, uh, it all felt, from my experience, it felt workable. And again, like on a retreat, I felt very in tune, very alive, um, physically, you know, there were aches and pains. I'm sure other people were experiencing similar things. Um, but at the end of the day, you just felt so good. Um, and a lot of that is about because it's bringing you present, isn't it, with your current experience. You're not lost in your phone yeah, or online. Um, and you're just moving. It's that relentless sort of forward progress as well. If you're just moving forwards and it does kind of distill down sometimes when you are moving in that manner of if you're in silence or if you're along someone you're all kind of working in that putting one foot and then the next foot and then yeah. the next and even though you, it's broken up with these pauses where you stop and you take rest and things like it is still going towards that that flow yes. <laughs> of going forwards and I know I uh, spoke to Louis at one point where we were talking about it and he he said that I think it was it was after it had finished um, when we were reflecting on the experience together, and he was saying he really missed that just getting up each day and just moving. I think it is that kind of stripping back. Yeah, as you say. it's not, and it's very you... clear. It's kind of very clear cut. Mm. You've got very clear cut goals, um, and I can see Louis would miss that, <laughs> and I missed it after the after the trek. You know, it was, you know, no matter how you'd slept you had to get up pack your tent away you know try and time it with everyone else and do all the other things that you need to do in the morning and um yeah there's a clarity about that isn't there a clarity of purpose and knowing that you're doing it for for a bigger goal than just your own gratification you're doing it for charitable causes um does give you is quite a big motivating factor as well and also the accountability as you said of those around you as well you're doing it for that network of others who are depending on you to also kind of yeah. get yourself going and keep moving and and help each other and i guess again kind of not to keep putting it back into kind of like the meditation retreat context but there is an accountability isn't there yeah. when you're all doing something together yeah it's this sort of like tacit agreement that you, this this space is being preserved and the kind of the the safety of this the trust of this is mm. that we are all here continuing to show up doing this thing together yeah. and it was a similar kind of experience of that I'm not just doing it for me yeah. I'm doing it because I'm being held accountable by the people around me as mm. well which you don't necessarily get if you just decide to kind of go on a walk yourself yeah. sometimes you might find well like do I do I need to continue with this? But actually, if everyone is working towards that, mm. it isn't just about you know the the practical support of having people around you. It's the common purpose support yes. of the working towards together. Yeah, thing. yeah. There's a there's a you put yourself by 
you've put yourself by choice in a rather choiceless situation. You know, there's a choicelessness, isn't there, in that moment of like, okay, we have to do this. We have to get there. You know, um, that's kind of non-negotiable. I'm interested in how, for someone who is very kind of socially aware and able to present themselves in different contexts as well, and also aware of perhaps how how your presentation also affects others, affects an audience in the cases where you're acting. Like, how do you find, or did you find in this particular instance, kind of going into a situation of that unknown and the social dynamic? And did you find that you were able to settle into being yourself in inverted commas? Mm. Um, mm. Did you find that that changed as well over time? Were there layers that kind of peeled back? Definitely, definitely, because, you know, you, especially when you meet new people, you're kind of, on some level, you're trying to present the, I hate this phrase, best version of yourself, but... Um, Go for it, it, it's fine. It'll do, it'll do <laughs> for want of any other. Um, you know, you are, you are, you're, and that's part of, sort of social niceties, isn't it, is... Um, You know, but there is, we're always performing ourselves on some level, aren't we? Mm. Um, and I guess that's always why I've been attracted to meditation retreats as well, where you have long periods of silence. That are, um, and then you play with that. There'll be other times on the retreat where you, you can talk outside of the meditation. Um, here, it's obviously not structured in in any kind of formal way but there are periods where you're walking silently by yourself or silently alongside a fellow pilgrim and the silences become as much part of the experience as what you actually talk about or say to people but there is something that falls away maybe those social masks do start to fall away a because you get to more comfortable with people you get mm. to know them and silence doesn't necessarily feel awkward um, but also you, you can then start communicating with somebody else in a more authentic way because there's something about walking alongside someone where you're not just facing each other like we are at this table, mm. you know, but you're taking in the environment and you're you're in that shared space that just kind of relax. It's kind of a leveller, I find. And... It just relaxes the maybe anxiety, underlying anxiety we have about social interaction. And it can make you then see that anxiety where you might not have been aware of it before. And, and something can kind of just drop into another level of communication because um, you're not trying so hard, you know, and, and yeah. um, maybe you just okay, this is me now, you know, I'm dealing with this heavy backpack. Sorry to go on about heavy backpack. <laughs> We've got a theme here about the backpack. <laughs> we could make it into a wonderful metaphor, which I think it kind of is as well, isn't it? Sort of yeah. like, you know, carrying, carrying, carrying the backpack. Yeah. <laughs> carrying our baggage. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, actually, what comes out of, of silence as well, which can, when you're relaxed with people, either be profound mm. or it can be something completely banal but what's needed in the moment I think I was reflecting yesterday when we were when we were cooking in the evening and sort of eating some crisps and I, I reflected on a conversation that 
that Jake and I had had when we were grinding along the the um the road on the the second day of the walk when it was just the three of us and uh you know we'd been in silence for quite a while it was it was hot the ground was very hard everyone had shin splints the bags were heavy it was dusty it was like rain and then shine and then just out of nowhere Jake pipes up with what's your favorite crisp <laughs> and <laughs> it was um, <laughs> but it was just what was kind of needed in that moment yeah. and those are the things that connect you as mm. well it doesn't necessarily have to be whether you are kind of philosophically on the same level or academically mm. like yes those are always very interesting conversations but there's also the kind of well what's your favorite crisp yeah, <laughs> that's, exactly. that's yeah. just as kind of that's just as engaging in those moments or just the thing that is needed to lift you and keep you going yeah. I mean you know the amount of times I've been in a meditation period of you know an hour or so I've been that whole hour two hours I've been thinking about dinner <laughs> or cake at tea time you know <laughs> going back to your earlier point about um just thinking about you know the intentionality of the journey and yeah it's a huge part of it because mm. that's the motivating factor but it again sorry going back to like a spirit buddhist spiritual context because that's something that i know and i suppose it's the thing that i relate most to, to doing this or my experience of doing this is that the, the goal is you know they always emphasize in buddhism that the path is the goal mm. and yet you can't really do it without a goal and yet the whole point is not the goal yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know so that's the so that's the paradox you're holding that paradox and, and i would say it's the same with the pilgrimage there's sort of you know you've got your goal of the place that you're getting to You've got your goal of the target of uh, amount of money you want to raise for the charity, mm. um, and that is, you know, a substantial goal and um, one that gives a lot of satisfaction if you can reach it or exceed it. Um, but it's it's not the point of the whole undertaking. That it's something more than that. Um, so if we flip that script of, you know, we kind of consider sort of what you're what you might have thought were your motivations for joining the journey. Mm. Have you found on reflection or through the process of it, and maybe it changed at different points along the journey as well, and maybe you finished in a different place to where you started, has that intention now thinking back, would you say that it's changed? Hmm, it's a very good question. I'm just trying to think exactly what my intention was. I suppose it, I was in, I was so inspired by the whole concept, inspired by the horse, the equine aspect, because I love riding horses. Mm. I was inspired by the charity and outdoors as therapy, outdoor activities as therapy was really inspiring. I'm inspired by Scotland anyway, because I love it. So I think there was a, a whole kind of, you know, it just made it made sense to to come and do it and to put other things in my life on hold and mm -hmm. go and do that. 
Um, so I don't know that it did. It has changed necessarily. It's made me want to do more, mm. and um, it made me feel very alive. I just felt really enlivened by it, even when I was exhausted. Mm. Um, and and that feeling of kind of satisfaction. You know, we arrived in Oban. It was pouring with rain. We were walking through the streets and um, we were holding the ban- the big hoof banner up and um, people weren't really paying that much attention. But until we walked down the, the, the main street towards the harbour and then some people who were sitting sheltering from the rain on a balcony in a restaurant, they all got to their feet and started clapping. So they read the banner, got it straight away. And and that, and that was really lovely. Yeah. Um, in terms of my intentionality, <laughs> I don't know how that relates exactly, but it, something about that that um, memory makes me feel proud to have been part of it, essentially. And in terms of going forward, I definitely want to do more. And, and just being in the outdoors and mm-hmm. walking in the outdoors and going on a journey like that. I just want to do more of it. Mm. I think that definitely speaks to me. Like that, it sounds like it's kind of unlocked something in you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly, and and that's. I was aware of it happening, and then when we got to Oban, it sort of crystallised, and and I had to leave at that point. You know, the, the, the horses were sort of being retired at that point and people were hiring bikes the next day to go to Iona, which I couldn't do. But I really felt like I was te- having to tear myself away. From- I really wanted to complete that journey with everyone. And I realised that it had quite a big emotional impact mm. on me that I, you know, I really didn't want to leave. But I also felt full of the experience in a way that sometimes you don't after a holiday sometimes you do after a holiday depending on where you've gone what what the holiday's been about I suppose you know but um yeah it's something different it was more than just having had a nice time and a change of scene there was definitely um something deeper going on but what you're sort of describing is returning to your life here um by London um being full of something but not necessarily kind of full in terms of oh yeah that satisfied me it's kind of a fullness a bit like what we were describing again last night this sort of you're full of something but it's also moving forwards and and transforming into something else I always find people describing holidays as in kind of like a sort of reminiscing about it as being somehow better or I was full and now I am kind of lacking by mm, comparison mm. to that experience. Whilst mm. actually kind of coming back to to the real world and in inverted commas from the pilgrimage, it's like, okay, I miss I miss that experience, but I've kind of I'm holding on to elements of that experience because the actual journey has happened internally. Yes, yes, that's really well put. And it taps into a kind for me, it taps into a kind of longing which I think is, what is that longing? I think it's for wholeness. Wholeness and, yeah, longing for, for, for meaning and connection. That's why I came back. I was, I was in touch with that longing. It sort of 
the journey put me in touch with that in in a, in a good way um, and gave me that sense of connection as well and meaning and purpose. And do you think that taps into something that's kind of been innate within you since early on in your life? Because you grew, you grew up in Wales um, in a beautiful part of the world, surrounded by nature. And we were talking about this and this morning. Scotland. And then yeah. Scotland. Do you think that's kind of elemental in you, really? Yeah. That kind of connection to nature, that urge to sort of connect through nature, through moving in nature. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just satisfies some kind of primal instinct, mm. need. Um, yeah, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that. But it's, it's now you say it, it's completely obvious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just feel I feel good in a natural environment um, as opposed to a man-made environment um, yeah it's... do you think horses embody that as well yeah I think they do yeah you're absolutely right because they're I mean obviously they like dogs they've been um, sort of co-evolved by their contact with humans Um so, so they're kind of inextricably bound with, mm. with humans, but they represent some. They represent freedom. They represent, uh, on, on some level, um, they represent the great outdoors. You know, like a horse galloping, you know, a, up a mountain or along hills, and you know, there's something about that kind of um, unbridled energy that they represent for us of course they've been more than that they've been part of working life in, you know, in throughout the world for centuries haven't they um so so they're a lot more than that but i think on some kind of imaginative level that's where they sit in our psyche um, it's sort of embodiment of spirit i always feel yeah horse as well yeah yeah yeah. It's interesting, in Tibetan doing. Buddhism, they talk about wind horse or lungta, and wind horse energy, uh, you know, there's a whole, there are whole practices which are about uh, raising lungta. So you raise your personal lungta and you can raise environmental lungta through plugging into this um, limitless energy that's available to, to all of us. And it is kind of embodied in the natural, you know, it's in the natural world, it's present in the rocks and the trees and the wind and the grass and the sky. Um, maybe similar to the Chinese concept of qi, life force energy. Um, you know, and on prayer flags, you'll have, you'll very often have the lungta horse and it's, it's in full gallop and it's got a jewel on its back. It's usually the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, but the, which represents the teacher, the teachings and the community of practitioners but it's also the kind of jewel of our limitless potential for compassion. Um, and that there's a natural, you know, when you embody that, you're embodying a kind of limitless energy that can carry you along. Um, so I think that's what horses and the natural world definitely, that really speaks to me, that image. So that's so interesting, actually, in terms of the context that you've just put the horse in, that actually traveling with the horses was the central unifying principle of the journey yeah. as well so 
kind of philosophically and historically, as well as it being a kind of a practical element of the trip. Yeah, it, it really does embody that 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 community, that compassionate spirit, really, yeah. which we found, I think, as well in yeah. terms of it being a connective force with people around us if for example in Oban you just kind of turned up with slightly bedraggled people in the rain like would people have responded in the same way no. it's interesting isn't it no I yeah it definitely um magnetized energy and attention having the horses and 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 people have an emotional response to horses you know people were coming up to the horses afterwards and wanting to pet you know kids coming up and petting them and you know quite few probably urban children who'd, who'd never really been around horses that much. I mean, that was definitely the case with a couple of the kids that came up because, you know, we were having conversations with their parents and, and they said that was the first time they'd kind of encountered horses that closely and, uh, and horses seemed to like it as well. But there was something about the looking after the horses and the horses looking after us. They're, they're really tuned into you as well. And, you know, and they had a lot of people on their backs who'd never ridden before. And you could really sense the two Arab horses looking after the people that were on their backs. You know, they were, they were very, you know, they're, and they're really fit animals who would probably love to just gallop off over <laughs> that hill. <laughs> but, you know, they were really taking care with um, people on their backs. And obviously the their owners were as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting how that relationship kind of models really hopefully how we would behave towards others in life really mm. um in terms of our interactions with other humans too and yeah. we can take a lot from that relationship with the horse and that reciprocal relationship as well yeah and and with the you know with the world around us too and the environment yeah. and i know that you've you've spoken about sort of like you know actually relationship with nature being really important to you but that also being part of the challenge to the unpredictable nature of the environment and um and the challenge that that presents and do you think that some of the elements that I'm going to reframe this actually so we've kind of talked about with meditation the struggle can be kind of the the sitting in silence the sitting in stillness the sitting and holding you know seated asana as well like that is a lot of a lot of struggle um and a lot uh, and much of the time that's also because you're struggling with the fluctuations of your mind or things mm. that are coming up when you're sitting in that stillness mm. and likewise when you're when you're walking outdoors like you're you're faced with particular challenges um whether that be from nature or from a backpack mm. metaphorical or otherwise of things um but in the after glow, again, I'll use that word of the experience, you can reflect and think that challenge is actually what gave me so much. So I guess my question from that is, what about, were there any of the challenges that you hadn't anticipated that surprised you or challenges that you maybe had anticipated that you overcame that have kind of now forged a sort of um a sense of your achievement your or what you've carried forward from it yeah I suppose you know I you know there was really uncomfortable moments in the pouring rain and I was you know I had kind of tried to mentally prepare myself for all the rain 
which I knew would come our way. It's inevitable in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, and I was I had quite a lot of anxiety about this wild camping and will my tent keep up water and my lack of preparation in terms of not having you know a camping stove or um, a thermos or you know some home comforts um, things just to to get you through. But it was really challenging because your mind's just, you know you especially when we we were wild camping then we came to this spot the rain was ceaseless we were soaked to the skin. We were in a field of dung, literally. There was just cow, sheep, deer, poo everywhere. Um, there was nowhere dry to pitch your tent. At least I hadn't found it at that point. Um, there was nowhere that was shit free to pitch your tent. <laughs> um, you know, we had like sort of dried packets of food, stuff we bought from co-op you know, pork pies, there was very little comfort to be had. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and we'd been, no, and then we'd been walking miles and were exhausted. So that was mentally very, physically very, very challenging. And yet, yeah, there was something about just being part of the group, that we're all in it together. We're all feeling the same thing, pretty much. And that kind of got us through. And then we ended up finding a spot under the trees and we started making a, a fire and managed to extract some comfort from the situation and um, actually ended up having a really good night's sleep. <laughs> You're just so tired. <laughs> yeah, so tired, exactly. Um, so, yeah, just reflecting on that, I would say it's, it's just through those... Uh, experiencing that kind of discomfort that makes you I mean like the, the days after I was just so appreciative of when we actually had a bed when we actually had a sink and a loo those things that we just take for granted um it, it makes it makes made me feel very uh, grateful for a start and very connected very alive you know to have experienced the opposite of that comfort um Having said that, I'm glad it didn't go on for too long. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, yeah, it, there's a lot to be said for having that experience of things that we take for granted. And um, it puts things into perspective. It gives you a sense of priority, you know, what's really important. And actually it is, uh, it is connection, isn't it? It's, yeah. Um, yeah. I've just actually, whilst you've been speaking kind of the word that is coming to the forefront of my mind is relationships and that's mm. essentially what this is all about I think isn't it yeah um yeah. because you can't build relationships with others or with communities with with the world and relationships built built on trust without also acknowledging that that is going to make you feel uncomfortable at times mm. too mm. um and being able to sit with that discomfort and yeah. being able to sit with potatoes knocking the dirt off of each other. Yeah, yeah, and how your mind your mind really can really flip out. Seriously uncomfortable, I need to get out of this situation. And then, you know, that's not in that track situation, this is not gonna happen, it's not sustainable. You're kind of forced to find a place in yourself 
that just accepts the situation that you're in. And actually our, our teacher said aggression is really wanting things to be different from they what they how they actually are what they actually are and i think that's a really good point because we think of aggression as shouting screaming losing your temper it's, it, there's there's very subtle aggression of wanting things to be different than they actually are and so again it comes back to surrender accepting the situation and making the best of it and um that brings you mental equilibrium. A lot of that comes into being um, what, I, what I would consider a good teacher as well. Mm. And that's something that you are starting to explore with your meditation teaching. And it's interesting, like when I asked you right at the beginning of this particular conversation, kind of who is Richard, would you have thought that one of the, for want of a better word, kind of labels that you would have put on yourself would be a be a teacher do you know i'm never yeah i suppose so because it's you know i've taught in different contexts but not for a long time um teaching english as a foreign language and then this is quite a new thing starting to uh, move into uh, being a fledgling meditation teacher um but that label has been hovering around for, for a long time within that other context. And I've done a bit of drama teaching as well. And uh, I really, really enjoy it. There's a lot of satisfaction to be gained. So I'm, I'm really happy it's sort of teaching is coming back into my life in some form. And maybe, maybe I could, yeah, I could see myself teaching because I've been doing an art degree and there've been teaching assistant opportunities. And a lot of our teachers are professional artists who've started to teach as a way of supporting their incomes um, and found that they really love doing it sometimes more than being in a studio on their own and and I can see why you know there's so much satisfaction to be had from facilitating other people's abilities. feels like for you because just prior to kind of hitting record on this conversation we were talking about Howard Hodgkin and his paintings um just put the listener kind of in, in context, um, he creates or did create um, abs- quite usually quite small kind of abstract pieces that are made up of many, many attempts of arriving at a point and, and layers of colour that are built up to finally have perhaps even just one brushstroke across the top that's kind of an accumulation of the journey, um, a distillation of that process and is isn't kind of almost feels like a pause point rather than a, a finished thing really mm. and it feels like you're sort of at a point in your life perhaps where different layers are kind of starting to to interact and there oh, isn't yeah, necessarily like it, yeah. isn't sort of a pause point but um or it maybe is a pause point where things are sort of distilling but it isn't kind of the end thing that you're in a very creative space um where things are beginning to kind of like coalesce yeah and I wonder in in light of that sort of did do you feel that that the journey across Scotland the pilgrimage sort of came came at a serendipitous point for you I would say it has it has actually because um you know acting work has has been really quiet the last year um 
I've been I've been busy with the course. I do lots of kind of Airbnb hosting here. You know, life is is reasonably busy. But had I been doing a long theatre, you know, theatre jobs tend to be pretty long. I wouldn't have been able to to do this. So, yeah, I do think it's it's been very serendipitous, and yeah, it's brought together several strands. Um, and I, be, I was telling you earlier, I've been involved in a horticultural therapy project when I lived in London, and I've been wanting to get back into that somewhere down here. And the, the whole concept of the outdoor therapy has been making me think about that as well. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there are. Yeah, you're you're right. I hadn't really thought of that, but there are all these different strands that are beginning to kind of um, resurface and maybe coalesce, hopefully, in some form that's workable and the key word is 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 i suppose uh meaning sometimes acting acting can feel very superficial or very um maybe superficial is the wrong word i don't know i, I hesitate to say shallow either because it's not you know this really deep stuff that mm. happens in within um a lot of drama and uh and just the process of making drama with with other people quite akin to the to the track actually because you're sort of in a situation where you you're just an element of the whole and you're contributing it's very much about teamwork um there's a goal but a lot of it is also about process and is process driven and there's a lot of surrender that's involved so I don't quite know where I'm going with that, but you're just making me reflect on, on um, the process of making of acting work. But but yeah, yeah. I understand though because I, I I was really struck by something that you said about acting and finding finding an emotion. It's the authentic emotion that's generated in the process of going through rehearsals. So you find the thing in rehearsals. <laughs> And then you repeat that mm. on stage. And eight shows a week. Eight shows a week. Yeah. <laughs> However so many months. What the audience is seeing is is the real thing, but it's it's like in a hall of mirrors kind of thing where it's been refracted and reflected. Perhaps that's kind of what you're hinting at in a way. It's not that the depth isn't there because the depth is there because it's been found and you've gone there and it's been a pretty rigorous and and difficult journey to get to that point of unlocking it. Yeah, yeah. But then once you've unlocked it... You don't have to keep feeling it night after night. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're you kind of, on some level, going through the motions, and it's not that it, it's... But because you found the tr- truth of it, the genuineness of it, you can trust that that's what the audience will be receiving um so do you mean in terms of like the superficiality yeah. yeah maybe maybe yeah you 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 sort of it's quite easy to get blasé about things on in a long run because you're just showing up at the theater and getting back on that train and you know you don't have to give it the same level of thought as you do when you're trying to discover it in the rehearsal process and and that's good that's part of the process that's nothing bad that's not that doesn't mean that it's um a lesser experience but it's about acknowledging that the audience are bringing their own you know they they will project onto it what they need to 
and uh, and you're trusting that because they're humans <laughs> with human emotions and experiences and you know they're they're seeing something that looks authentic and um yeah so i don't quite know how that relates to, back to to i suppose it's coming back to meaning isn't it that that is meaningful but it can also become um a little bit relentless and uh i don't i suppose that what's missing there is that connection to to nature and um that's what i'd like to bring more into my kind of voluntary working life is mm. is that you know that sense of holding that space for that's what was so nice about working on the horticultural therapy project was being part of a team that held that space for people to experience healing and healing power of being in nature doing whatever they were doing in the garden um you know it's a really that's a really profound thing i think so yeah definitely want to do more of that and actually the striking yeah. of the clock and that that point in the conversation um, brings me to my final question, which is also about emotion, and that's what does joy mean to you, Richard? Oh, that's a good question. Um, joy means that sense of connection to one's own heart, to the environment, to other people, which I think is inseparable to the connection to your own heart is inseparable from your connection to others. That feeling, I think, is, you know, you can't beat it because it feels really multidimensional, vast, but specific at the same time. It's energised, like we talk about wind horse, that sense of energy. That's what joy means to me. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.